Hey everybody, welcome back to the Eat Well Podcast. It's Dylan here. So this week, I'm joined by my friend Jody Peck of Wild Northern Way. And she's been on the podcast before and she's been part of a lot of our sort of foodie and cooking adventures along the way with Eat Wild. So if you've been to any of our workshops, you would have met Jody either doing her fabulous cooking for the Hunter Field Skills Workshop or leading one of our mushroom hunting workshops. And we're kind of getting excited. It's, it's springtime. We're kind of working our way out of COVID and we're looking ahead to some fun adventures. So we've got some cool stuff planned and some of that stuff's around um, foraging. And that's what we're talking about today. And we're also looking ahead to the summer and thinking about some fun stuff like like cooking over a fire uh, workshops and um, and also building in some mushroom workshops in the fall. So so I thought it would be a good time to bring Jody on the podcast to talk about some of the stuff that we're up to and generally provide a bit of an overview about foraging and getting people excited around the spring foraging season. So let's get into it. Hey, Jody, welcome to the Apollo podcast. Thanks, Dylan. Nice to be here again. Yeah, it's good. It's just good to hang out. And um, we're having to do things a bit unique here in a bit of a COVID safe set setting. But I, I think it should, if the audio quality suffers, well, that'll just be another one for the, another one uh, for the Wild podcast to listener to uh, have to deal with. But anyways, the content's <laughs> going to be great, I assure you. Um, all right. So uh, tell us first a little bit about um, what Wild Northern Way is about. So just give listeners a bit of an introduction to what what you're what you're doing. Yeah, Wild Northern Way is where I cook wild food for people and have wild food experiences. And of course, that's all changed with COVID. And um, but I'm still very much focusing on wild food because that's there, and it's springtime right now. And the most exciting thing about springtime is that the foraging season is upon us and it is it is happening and that's one of the things that's so exciting about foraging is that you sort of have a lull in the winter i mean there's still there's still lots of really cool things happening in the winter but then spring comes and everything explodes so everywhere you walk everywhere you look whether you're in the city or you're out you know on the on the coast or inland in the mountains there, there is food just popping out all over the place. And I mean, specifically with spring, I'm thinking of wild greens and all of the fresh tender shoots that you can, that you can harvest and eat. And I think that spring is so prolific, partly because it's just, you know, it's fresh, brand new life. And as far as eating your greens, I mean, you can't get better nutrition or, or just more joy out of eating your greens than if you've harvested them. And of course, in the springtime, there's that's just the best. Right on. Okay. So you got way ahead of me here. You just like spilled all the beans on all these things <laughs> I want to talk about. But. All right. Well, I think it's important just to go back, just, just to let people listeners know who you are. I mean, we've hung out a bunch of times on the podcast and, and, and uh, we've talked a little bit about your heritage being from up North, being part of a, a hunting guiding community and cooking for, for um, the hunting community. Um, but also that's really entrenched in your sort of your harvesting of the things around you to create meals. So, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that? But like, let's, we're going to talk about urban foraging here, probably. So okay. we're going to end up talking, but I'm kind of just, I like your story of kind of being in hunting camp in a remote area and then putting together a meal for the clients of your hunting community. And tell me a little bit about that. Right. Well, I grew up in a hunting outfit in the Northwest Territories, and I've worked in a number of hunting outfits over the course of my life in northern BC, the Yukon, and the Northwest Territories. So I didn't know what foraging was. I thought that was just, you know, getting your food or or hunting was hunting wasn't um 
of course we hunted for our food. That was a given. So foraging was just what you what you gather to eat with your wild meat. So imagine my surprise and delight when foraging became something that was cool. <laughs> I had a word for this thing that I that I always have done and I and I love it because it connects you to the seasons and and the land where you are and it it's a the best excuse to just be outside and be on land. So growing up in a hunting camp what can I say about that? It's exactly what it sounds like. You're you're there facilitating big big game hunting, <laughs> and I I was a cook. I've been a cook my whole life, and my mom was a cook. My grandma was a cook in hunting camps. So preparing wild meat is very second nature to me. And this is something that I also didn't realize was such a gift because I thought that was just how you. Th- think of preparing a meal you think of what meat you have hanging and then you cut it up and you prepare a meal to nourish people to feed people um so it's also a really amazing thing that i just have acquired over the course of my life that i can uh that i really understand meat and uh an animal carcass if you <laughs> if you want to call it that if i see an animal hanging i really understand the cuts of meat and how i'm going to prepare it and what parts are best on that particular animal that is so unique so one of my favorite things to do is of course forge wild ingredients whether i mean whether it's pine needles or labrador tea or certain types of um alder for smoking or whatever whatever complements that particular animal at that particular time of year. So that's just something that I've done my whole life and I've always been really passionate about it. But now I have an outlet for it. Yeah, well this is this is so yeah, I like how you said like all of a sudden I had that same experience of, you know, growing up a hunter in the city and feeling a bit of an outcast almost. Like people didn't understand why I was so fired up about hunting or I didn't have a lot of community around me that was that was my age that was like, hey, this is cool. Let's do this together. It was like me and a bunch of old people that went hunting. So <laughs> so to be like fast forward here to where we are now in Vancouver and, and there's such a strong interest in, in hunting. And and I I that's great because, you know, now I've, now I've got all these younger friends now that want to do this fun stuff with me and, and want to engage in this activity. But it, it's it very much like must be very similar with foraging and all of a sudden there's an interest in foraging. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've really learned by, I mean, joining the Eat Wild community is because when I first started hanging out, you were like, oh, will, will you share some of this knowledge? And I was like, what What do I have to share? This is just what I do. I didn't think of it as something that I, you know, had learned and spent, you know, I didn't I didn't think that it was something I could teach because I'd never felt like I learned it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty inherent. And since then, I've also, you know, I've studied a lot um, since then because there's, you know, you can never stop learning about plants, animals, ecosystems, wild food, cooking, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a never ending lifetime exploration. Well, every time you walk into another ecosystem, there's a whole new story you got to learn. Yes. And this is exactly what's helped me um, learn how to share it is because I'm from the North. So I'm from a boreal ecosystem. I grew up eating moose meat and, and the, the trees and the plants are, are they're just really different than they are here on the coast. So in the Pacific Northwest, when I arrived here and really started getting out on the land and learning about the ocean, which I am just such a beginner at, I I was like, this is a 
grocery store. This is a candy shop. <laughs> this is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can, you can, you know, so prolific and just the variety and such a dynamic ecosystem. Yeah. And at first I thought it was a little bit softer and gentler than the North. And I was since then, I mean, that was my, that was, that just showed my ignorance of the ecosystem because it, this is such an amazing, vast, huge part of the world. Tough, tough, tough country. Yeah. I, I find that I, I actually typically avoid coastal, well, unless I'm on the water, then I find an ease of being on the water. But when I'm in the mountains and in the brush, oh, the, it's the so forest here, like I find it hard to get around yeah. and like, yeah, it's tough on you. The roads are tough on you. The yeah. trails are tough. The mountains are tough. It's just, it's, it's not. It makes me long for the Yukon where you can see a bear <laughs> from like a mile away. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, well, you know. It's just easier going country. It's just like, it's just made to get around when you kind of get into mm-hmm. interior BC and parts of Northern BC for sure. Well, and above the tree line as well, it's just like makes it so easy. Of course, there's extremes in that ecosystem as well. And you have to be prepared for the extremes because you will get caught in them. Um, but if it's a nice, you know, in in general, it's easier to get around than on the coast. Yeah, absolutely. But there's so much, uh, there's so much variety and life here, like diversity. This is the most diverse ecosystem that I have ever experienced, for sure. And I think that I I will learn forever. I mean, every time I step out my door, I I learn about this ecosystem and this land that I'm now on. Totally. Okay. So. With foraging, like hunting, I mean, it's if everybody went outside today and started foraging, we would no doubt have some issue manage some issues managing the health of the of the plants that we are yes. you know targeting. So there's obviously like a a set of ethics around how do we take first steps and acknowledge what we're doing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's 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 the same as hunting in that it's a it's a mindset and um, a code of of how you conduct yourself which is is a you have to think beyond yourself and you have to think of a, having a relationship with the land and whether you're taking an animal or a plant or or a picture i mean if you want to go to to extremes you you have to imagine how you're also giving back or how you're completing that circle it's not you will never be able to as humanity as we're learning in humanity <laughs> if you only take you know, there are costs. They might not show up instantly, but they do show up eventually. So we have to have... Um, well, just to add to that, one thing we're not very good what humanity has taught us is that we're not particularly good at necessarily thinking for for the commons without regulations being in place to help us with that. So right. so, so whether it's whether you're fishing or you're hunting, there's there's a set of regulations that, that is sort of managed by wildlife biologists say that, hey, it's okay to harvest X amount of deer while the populations will still, still continue to grow and be healthy. What's interesting about sort of the wild foraging world, whether it's, you know, us foraging um, currants in the back, in the, in, in the alleyway, or commercial mushroom pickers like there, there really is no regulation on, yeah on there's there's starting to be certain nations are starting to ask for permitting and i think it's going to go that direction because as foraging has an uptick in popularity there like you're saying we can't all just race out and collect all of the especially um more sensitive 
uh, or the populations that aren't just blossoming. So what I definitely, I mean, what I focus on and what I definitely um, encourage other people to focus on, especially at the beginning of their foraging uh, adventures is invasive weeds because there's an entire world. I mean, I am in the process of trying to identify and learn every weed, Mm -hmm. every invasive weed that I see. I want to get to know it. And it's taking me years. I have I don't know all the weeds around here yet, but it's fun to it's fun to see every little weed popping up through the through the sidewalk or um, when I see a clearly invasive species in, in a in native habitat and overtaking an understory of a forest. It, you can really by observing these plants, you really can start to learn a lot about the ecosystem and, and where you are. So I think that that is the starting point for everybody and something that I, that I definitely do a lot of. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to, we'll come back to the wild edibles and, and sorry, the urban wild edibles, which are largely invasive. And I think we'll, we'll probably kind of get this podcast to that place, but I want to just kind of coming back to the ethics piece and, and sort of how do we act as foragers and what are some rules of thumb that we would, you know, kind of caution everybody before we you know, I, I what I'm I, what I'm reluctant to say, you know, to get everybody fired up about foraging and then right. be like, you know, and then like not have a bit of a rule of thumb and I, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. So it's hard because um every plant population is different, but I would say in general, one thing that you should always stick to is never harvest the first of a specific species that you see. And because there are rules, like some people say only, you know, only harvest one tenth of the stand that you that you come upon. But that doesn't really apply if you're harvesting garlic mustard, which is super invasive. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can harvest lots of, but you never want to harvest the first plant that you see because you want to make sure that the that the land is healthy, that the stand of plants is healthy, um, that you're not taking from animals or pollinators, that you're not taking from other harvesters, specifically indigenous nations. You want to make sure you know which traditional territory you're on. And, oh, there's just, there's so much in this reciprocal relationship with land and people that this is why foraging is a lifelong endeavor. This is why this is something you can learn about forever, because you are developing a relationship with land and people and it is it is an endless pursuit. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's and that's probably a good reason why. Like, so you and I are going to embark on our on a on a, a series of uh, it's a very short series because we're kind of both limited. We're both take, we're both have taken on very much housing projects in the last couple <laughs> of months. Well, you in the last year. You're just congratulations. I I understand you've almost completed your house. Yeah. Which has given me um, amazing access to more foraging ground. <laughs> cool. We won't say specifically where it is, just for for secrets, um, where where you where you've landed, um, uh, as it might be a future destination for you know possible foraging <laughs> workshops and such. But um, and similarly, I've I've sort of reconnected with my home on the Sunshine Coast, and 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 as it turns out, I haven't been there for ten years, and there's ten years of major projects that I've undertaken. So, having said all that, uh, we are going to do a couple of workshops on. Uh, foraging, particularly urban edibles that are largely invasive or non-native to BC, but uh, but I think it'd be a fun project. And 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 really, the premise of that starting point is, you know, how do we do this ethically, and how do we do it with respecting the you know nations who have been stewards of these lands, and also rely on a number of these species for their own sustenance of their of their culture and as of their of their way of life. So. 
trying to do that right is going to be complicated and we're going to work on that over the next little bit. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that we were going to get excited about and that we're comfortable sharing in, um, in a workshop setting here. Well, first of all, can you just let us know how, how we're going to structure these work, workshops and then what are we going to try and talk about? Yeah. So one of the things that I find um, is a barrier for people learning how to forage, um, especially online, is that you get all this information and you get really fired up about all this information that you learn and then there's no follow-up. So I think that with wild food mentorship, I mean, whether it's hunting or foraging or just being on the land, mentorship is such a huge, important part of the part of it. So we wanted to make sure that people had support. So the, we're gonna we're splitting up each workshop into two segments, and it's over a weekend. So on Thursday evening, we're just gonna go over the sort of nuts and bolts of what how to identify, how to harvest safely, um, the types of ecosystems you're harvesting in, and talk about land access, and just give you um, arm you with some really good information. Yeah, that that's, well, that's going to include the, like that ethics piece, right? And of course, yeah, we can. We're going to delve. I mean, to me, that's probably the most important part of harvesting wild food because it is this entire lifelong relationship pursuit. So, um, I can talk for hours about that, and we will talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe not hours. We have a time limit, but yeah. we we'll really delve into that, and we'll talk. You know, we'll answer people's questions because a lot of people are just coming into this for the first time and not you know, our culture isn't really, hasn't really taught us about reciprocal relationships. <laughs> so we have a lot to go over there. Yeah. Um, and then, so we're going to give you information, including how to start, how do you start a relationship with a plant? Um, <laughs> well, I like what you said too, like, you know, every plant is different. And whether you, whether you, oh, if you're, if you're harvesting it, Every plant's gonna be different. Like knotweed, I can tell you if you like. Well, two things. I mean, they, they have. I believe these young young shoots are edible of the knotweed. And correct me if I'm wrong. And again, we'll talk about this in more detail either in this podcast or in our in our workshop. But, um, but like it is prolific. It is everywhere. We want it to go away. It is taking over all kinds of like habitat. That, right. You know, natural. So so like that's a that's one example of something we can yeah. really set the set every forager out there on and it'll be yeah. a positive thing in general. Having said that, I also know that like not we'd react certain ways to like, if you go in and mow it all down with a lawnmower, or yeah. it just, it actually comes back twice as tough the next time. Yeah. So, so there is lots of, there's lots of consider. So I really like And there's like land impacts as well that you have to think of. So maybe you're harvesting the knotweed and that's, you know, essentially good for the ecosystem, but are 10,000 footprints good for that ecosystem? You know, sure, there's, there's, sure. there's so many nuances to this conversation. So this is why I think mentorship is so important. So with these workshops, um, it's a short mentorship, <laughs> mentorship session, um, but it's the beginning of one. So armed with some information, some, some facts, um, you can go out and try and search out some of these plants that we're talking. So we're going to identify two or three plants that are in season. Yes. And yeah. and again, hold on. It's also a webinar too. We should let people know that we're, oh, yes. we're this doing is this. a webinar. We're doing this COVID safe. So we're going to bring you into, we're going to come into your living rooms or wherever you hang out with your laptop. And we're going to talk about identification and what else are we talk about? Uh, so we're going to have one session where we talk about all these, all this information, and then you have a weekend to try and find these plants. And keeping in mind that these plants can also be found at your farmer's market or on local farms. Um, we're, we're focusing on not necessarily only weeds, but prolific 
species, naturalized species. So, um, um, for example, we're going to talk about stinging nettle. Stinging nettle is a very naturalized species in, in North America. And there's some debate whether it's actually native or not. Um, but either way, it's it's an amazing plant and it is naturalized. And the population... When you say naturalized, what does that mean? I mean that it is, it's really a part of the ecosystem at this point. It's not invasive as in taking over or harming native plants. Um, it's it's just become part of the ecosystem. And it also really gives a lot of amazing gifts. I mean, it's such a powerful food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those early, early spring greens that when you harvest it, you can really get a lot of nutrition out of and, and bulk. You mm-hmm. could feed yourself on harvesting nettles. Yeah. So we're going to talk about stinging nettles. And uh, and even though that's not necessarily a weed, it's got a really interesting. We humans have an interesting relationship with it because it stings you. <laughs> so a lot of people, especially in North America, are afraid of it or dislike it or hate it even. Oh, avoided it. I've of, always avoided it. Yeah. And then when when someone tries to feed me it in a salad, I'm like, you're crazy. I know <laughs> what that can do to you. Like it's gonna be bad from from first bite. <laughs> yeah, not good. <laughs> Whereas that's not, I mean, that shows that you haven't created a relationship with that plant or your relationship with that plant is just avoided. Yeah, and breaking it can out be, in hives as a kid from rolling and getting rolled in patches by my big brother or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. So clearly we have a lot to discuss about this plant, right? Because I love it. I have such a relationship with this plant. Currently, I am, it's part of my job to harvest nettles every day because I want to keep up with my patch that I try and steward and and get a huge amount of nettles from every year. That's interesting. So so you're saying like if you a certain amount of harvesting in a patch will then re, create greater regeneration. Yeah. So this is some of the things we'll get in we'll get into is that you can you can trim you can trim nettles and then you can go back to your patch four or five times over the course of a couple months in the spring before they get too mature. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing that right now. That's part of what I do in this season is I check in with my spot where I get my stinging nettles that I love when they start popping up in the spring. It's so exciting to me. And I, I, I really love them. That's great. So we went, um, Mickey and I, uh, spent an evening, we, did, we went road hunting for, for stinging nettles in and around my place on the <laughs> coast. And uh, we, I, I thought for sure I had a couple spots figured out that would, I, I don't even know what nettle habitat really looks like. I, I just sort of remember <laughs> well, as we'll a kid. we'll talk about that as yeah, well. Okay. So, so, so we're going to talk about ethics. We're going to talk about identification. We're going to talk about uh, you know, where, where to find it, how to harvest it, um, and how to do this all respectfully and properly. Um so then comes the really exciting part, because this is where I find, like, especially with new foragers, they're like, oh, my goodness, I've identified something. I'm going to harvest all of it, which, yeah, you know, yeah. that's there's your first issue. But after that, they harvest it and they bring it home. They're like, oh, I'm hot and tired and I just spent a big outdoor adventure day. And then they leave it sitting on the counter in a plastic bag. Sure. And this is what, like, this is going to happen to everybody that harvests fiddleheads, man. Like, yeah. fiddleheads <laughs> yes. is like a classic over-harvester problem because they're they're actually quite, once you find a patch of fiddleheads, they're quite prolific and they're robust and they're beautiful. They look like, they look like asparagus. So you're just, you're thinking how good are these going to be when you put them in the frying pan? And you maybe you, you, you pick a pail full or something like that, right? And then you have to clean them. And then you have to clean them. And gosh, you can be up till, yeah. Vegan I did hours. my first fiddle harvest season. I um, did five pounds. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> I know better. I, we've got, I've got some tricks for that too. And I think I might have mentioned that I have a video on it, but 
Um, but man, yeah, you, you like I, I say like fiddleheads are so much work after the fact, just like shedding that there's kind of a bit of a, a husk on the outside that, yeah. that is it has to be peeled off before you can cook it. So I also froze them, which is another no go because they oh. don't hold up in the freezer. Green mush. Green mush. And it's so heartbreaking because you've, you've harvested and you've cleaned and then you're like, I'm going to have these in the middle of winter and it's going to be amazing. And it's green mush. Great for smoothies, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually no you have to cook them so don't don't put them in your well you blanch them before you freeze them sure okay so um so this is fun so we're going to cover all this stuff on like a thursday night in the webinar couple, couple yes. hours hanging out on, then, on the zoom and then we're going to go over oh and in the information session we're also going to talk about how to how to process or how to not leave them on the kitchen counter until they're um wilted and oh for sure prepped and, up. yeah so we need to so we need to get we need to process them a little bit and then we're going to cook with them. And this is something that's super exciting and fun because this is, I mean, this is what this is what you want to be posting on your Instagram feed. This is what you imagine when you imagine foraging, that you're making these delicious gourmet dishes with wild food that you've harvested with your own hands and you're, you know, serving it to your family. And it's just the most amazing experience, which it can be. But often at the beginning of your foraging adventures, it just doesn't pan out that way because it's a significant amount of work and time and effort and um, uh, experience that goes into making these beautiful meals. So we're going to take some of that. Um, we're going to take some of the load of that, Dylan and I are, and we're going to make a we're going to create a menu and we're going to cook together. So we'll give you we'll. Um, Lay out what we're going to make and give you an ingredients list and some recipes that you'll get to keep. And then on Zoom, we're going to have a group cooking hang. Yeah. This, a dinner party. So we tried this. Um, I had somebody reach out to us and uh, to see if they if, if they could do like a birthday present, like a, a cooking class via Zoom for, as, a, as a birthday present. And um, so, yeah, so I ended up kind of pulling together my kitchen into a studio and kind of figured it out enough that it was actually kind of fun. Like, so I was showing them, I gave them a list of stuff before we started cooking and, and, and the recipes. And then they were in their kitchen, this couple that had, that had asked us to do this and, and they were prepped and ready to cook. And we were and Mickey and I were in our kitchen. Mickey kind of produced it with using some technology, would able to sort of switch back and forth between me talking about the food and then shots of the food as we're cooking it. And, it was kind of a cool concept. Like I, I, I haven't seen a lot. I think some people are onto this now and they're doing kind of like in-house Zoom cooking classes. And you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I thought it was a great hang with with this couple and we became friends out, out of the whole deal. But I thought this we could sort of do the same thing by, you know, having people come prepped with their sort of laptops in their kitchen and then they can hang with us while we, well, while we a show how to store and, take care for these wild or these these foraged items and then turn them into like you said some beautiful you know instagram worthy <laughs> pictures of food but i think it's gonna be a cool hang so i think it'd be great and also i mean one of the things that i just love and it's i mean springtime is also perfect for this is making wild cocktails so obviously we're gonna make a cocktail because i mean who doesn't who doesn't want that and if you just look out your window right now whether you know it or not i guarantee there are some um flowers or just things sprouting up that are um, delicious and only here for a couple weeks 
and and they make beautiful cocktails. Yeah, timing is is critical on this. Yeah, one. let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, hold on, I just want, I'm, I'm I'm trying to just get our pitch out the door and get it past <laughs> here, so just so that people are clear on what we're trying to do. So so just as just to finish off there, so Thursday night we're gonna, we're going to bring people together on the Zoom eight o'clock till ten o'clock kind of deal that equips you for the weekend of harvesting. So hopefully you'll get out over the weekend, find some samples. If you can't find them, you can go to your local um, uh, the the the, the your your farmers market. farmers market and there'll be local foragers that'll have samples of, of nettles or whatever we're going to focus on in the first one um, and then also of course we'll um give substitutes as well because everything you know we can still make this beautiful meal and if you went out and went foraging and were unsuccessful it's still a win because you were out and you're that's the start of creating your relationship with this season and what's growing and what's out there so if you're unsuccessful like dylan was on the weekend <laughs> I, it was it was fine i had asparagus in the, in the fridge it worked out just fine exactly so, so if yeah. you're unsuccessful um still join us because oh yeah it's gonna be fun it's and it's just i mean the thing about foraging because it is such a tiny season each i mean you've got a, a two to three week window with each thing that you're harvesting um you really you really not only learn the seasons um but you've got to be on it <laughs> yeah 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 and and you can make these you know you can take these recipes and you can you know if you're if we're just going to continue talking about stinging nettles you could use spinach or kale or something that is also you know you can get at your local farmers market or just your grocery store cool so on monday night we're going to reconvene over zoom a little earlier i think cuz we're going to be making yeah. food and hanging out and the idea yes is you're going to come prepared with your ingredients your ingredients list your recipe and you're going to bring your laptop or computer system into your kitchen and you're going to cook with us and hang out, have a cocktail. So I think it's going to be a cool hang. Anyway, we got the spiel out of the concept. <laughs> that's not took a lot longer than I'd expected, but I think it kind of illustrates just the process. I think that's important. It's not just about the harvesting, it's about the care and it's about the cooking afterwards. And we're going to just see if this works. So um, hopefully if you listen to this, you're excited about it and you can sign up on our website. Now, let's move on. <laughs> I want to talk about like we got pretty excited about, you know, coming into this year, we were like, okay, let's, let's do a, like a monthly spring foraging workshop that's now turned into sort of two episodes that we can both manage within the timelines. But um, let's talk a little bit about the seasonality of foraging broad strokes here. And, and, and let's keep our conversation focused to sort of urban edibles. Um, okay. I mean, we can go all over the map. Like you said, like every ecosystem has got its own, you know, high, highlight list of yes. forager, forageables. Um, but if from the city context, what's the first thing you get excited about? What's the thing that like you see out there? And go, oh, here we go. Dandelion greens. Perfect. Yeah, straight up. I mean, it's so interesting because dandelion, I feel like is something that's, it's really had, um, it's had a lot of different people have different views of dandelion. So I feel like in the 50s, 1950s, when everybody wanted a perfect lawn, they were the most hated, the most hated of all weeds. And everybody used, you know, chemicals on them and you just wanted to get them out of your lawn. And now, um, I mean, there's still some lawn purists, don't get me wrong, but I, I think now people are starting to see this as a, as a food, but it's also super accessible and uh, and dandelion is having its moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I, they're 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 a lovely bitter. They're kind of like an arugula. An arugula, thought, yeah, like, or yeah, or, or a radicchio, maybe. Um, I mean, I don't know. So this spring, the first thing I did, I I um harvested 
um, dandelions out of the garden. So I pulled the root as well as the spring greens and I harvested as many as I could because I was, you know, taking them out of the garden patch and uh, I pickled the roots. So I had this really delicious pickled dandelion root, which I mean, there's so many health benefits, but also it's just like what a delicious bitter green pickle. It's a little bit like burdock, but I guess burdock is another <laughs> wild foraged thing. Um, but so having this like really delicious, interesting, a bit spicy pickle with the roots was amazing. I also roasted it and made dandelion tea, which is, you know, after you've had enough coffee, but you still want to drink coffee, it's a great thing to drink because it's got that delicious roasted deep flavor, but not not going to give you any coffee jitters. Um, and then of course I made a spring salad with the greens. And when they're, when the dandelion greens are young, they're so delicious and beautiful. And I just did the most simple salad of dandelion greens, some slivered dandelion, pickled dandelion roots, blood orange. And, and uh, that was it. Nice. And some crunchy salt. It didn't even need a dressing. It was just so delicate, beautiful. It felt like spring had really started. Totally. Okay. So the one I noticed, and this is what I learned from you last year, is the the red flowering current. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting you started by saying everything we're going to be um, talking about is an invasive non-native weed because <laughs> we've <laughs> because um, flowering current is, is a native shrub and it's just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the things... Um, you're not necessarily, there's a few different takes on harvesting flowering current or over harvesting because you're not over harvesting in terms of the fruit because the flowering current fruit is, the currants are a bit like dusty and dry. They're not your most, most choice current. You're mm -hmm. going to go with a, with it probably a cultivar to, to get your currants berries from. Um, but flowering currants are one of the first early pollinators. So you do want to think about that. You don't want to see a beautiful flowering current and then in its height, just take every single flower from it because this is the bees and the hummingbirds and, mm -hmm. and the pollinators. Um, you know, they're really important in becoming, they've always been super important, vital, mm -hmm. but it, we're becoming much more conscious of how vital that relationship is, um, and, and how we need to tread lightly with that. So, of course, take your flowering currants, make your cocktails. I was going to say, I mean, like, you know, the flowering current is best used in a cocktail. So hopefully you're not having yes. so many cocktails or you're going to pick <laughs> your, your flowering current brush yeah. from clean. So yeah. Or I mean, I make, I make two or three um, different types of elixirs with flowering current, then I can keep them for a couple months. They'll, they'll last in the fridge if you, or you can infuse it into vodka or you can make a honey elixir and that will, that will keep as well. So you, you know, but these are, there's so much flowering current and this is, is taking harvesting maybe six cups of flowers which you can harvest in about five minutes mm -hmm. um uh, so i'm just saying that to be aware of who you're sharing your uh your foraging harvest with mm -hmm. and that is the bees and mm -hmm. the hummingbirds and the butterflies and absolutely you know, yeah so. uh, and that's super important especially if you're a gardener or if you want to oh. live on this earth yeah totally <laughs> kind of important in general um the other one that i was uh i've been keeping an eye out for that uh, is the maple blossoms oh they're just about to start depending on where you are they'll be they'll be popping really soon so do are, is the timing of our workshop we're going to be able to talk about yes i think it probably gonna work out yeah, we'll get 
it just just oh man like i didn't eat, i mean the best part about maple blossoms is that like they're everywhere and there's like yeah you'd be hard pressed you do not have to worry about over over <laughs> yeah. harvesting maple blossoms for one it's impossible unless you have a i don't know like a the biggest ladder ever yeah the yeah. few branches of maples <laughs> that you, you can get at <laughs> yeah you're good you're yeah. good it's a, and, and it's quite a thing too like i mean a, a mature maple blossom is it's a like, lot of food it's a lot of food and then and then as far as i know the best way to eat them is you you deep fry them. You yeah, like batter tempura, them. Tempura, <laughs> tempura batter. Deep fry. It's so, so good. <laughs> you can only eat so many of those without exploding. But um, that was fun. So I like that one. Um, it's so yummy. I mean, I know that you said that you use maple blossoms as like a steamed green last year yeah. as well. And um, I had never done that. I'm like, I have made it into fritters. I've done all these like really elaborate things. I was like, oh, so smart. Just just steam them gently with some butter. How delicious. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun. I, that was kind of my first really like urban foraging experience was sort of getting out and getting maple blossoms and realizing these are just great and they're fun and they're everywhere. And yeah, this is cool. I guess what we need to talk about with urban foraging, um, and I've, I mean, it seems obvious to me is that you really want to know where you're harvesting from for many different reasons. One being um, pesticides and herbicides, because you want to make sure that you're harvesting from a clean area. A lot of I was thinking about the dogs peeing on your dandelions too. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this is <laughs> this is why I harvested dandelions from the garden patch because I, I I know exactly what's going on in there. Um, it's really important. I mean, lots of these um, these weeds are bioaccumulators, so they're actually cleaning the soil, which is an amazing thing. So mm -hmm. they have deep roots and they pull up minerals. This is why they're so good for you. They pull up minerals uh, from the soil as well. But if you've got um, toxins in your soil. So also pulling those up. And, and I've seen some current research starting to be done on how much, um, stays in the plant. And, and it seems, I mean, from, from the preliminary research that I've just, that I've looked at, it seems like it's, it's not a crazy amount that stays in the plant. But, but I mean, I think that we should definitely wait <laughs> until this is studied more. And I think it will be because it's a, it's a relevant topic right now. Um, but I, I personally wouldn't harvest dandelions from the crack in the sidewalk that gets a lot of foot traffic or, um, the place where it's perfect for the dog to pee on or, um, along a, a train line or, um, a power line where there's going to mm. be a lot of chemicals. That's a good point. So yeah, where, where they use spray. So a lot of ditch lines are, they yes. use spray and chemical to manage and ditch water line. runoff as well. That's going to have pesticides and such in yeah. it. Or your neighbor who's got that brilliant emerald green colored lawn because they use you yeah. know, all kinds of stuff on their lawn to create that. You know. Yeah. So I would say the best place to harvest things like dandelions are is your own backyard. Yeah, where you have control over your it, right? community garden plot mm -hmm. within your community garden mm -hmm. on the on the edges on the edges of the plots and the edges of the community garden space. Um, that's a great place to harvest dandelions or mm -hmm. some of these in, more invasive weeds. Um, what people consider weeds, I'm using finger quotes when I say weeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first, fair enough. But there's lots of, I mean, it's also important to know the history of a site because I mean, all over, say, Vancouver. There, used, there was a gas station on every corner and now yeah. it's an empty lot that's covered in green stuff. Yeah. And I would say. And that's yeah. healing that lot. But yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you want to give it 100 years. <laughs> yeah, give it 100 years. Exactly. So those are some, I mean, these are broad things that we, you know, this is this is a big topic that we're talking about. Yeah. Is, and I mean, it's like, it's like trying to pack in how to hunt in, you know, a 45 minute podcast that we were just trying to, yeah. to touch on the topic here and get people excited about it. 
Um, but I think we just got to keep mentioning that there's so much complexity to this. So yeah. Like, I mean, one thing we were talking about earlier that I think is really fun about foraging is like, it's got a very short little time span that you can, that you can harvest. Um, but once you know where your stands are, and once you have a relationship with a certain species in the area, it grows and you, and you every year go back to it and you steward it and maybe you help replant seeds or maybe you trim it. So it, so it proliferate, proliferates. Um, once, once you have that relationship, you can go back every year. So it's not like hunting is in, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to find the plants initially, but once you found them, then you can really dig in deep and you can really start a long-term relationship with that place and those plants. And then of course the animals and the pollinators and the insects and all the things that are, that are also there. Um, but whereas hunting, you know, those animals aren't going to stand in one place for years. Yeah, I guess so. You kind of, you like we were talking about earlier, like you don't have to get up early to go, you know. You, you might have to, depending on when the best time to harvest is. But, um, you know, like certain things you want to harvest when there's dew on the, on the leaves still, or you want to harvest before the flowers have opened, or these types sure. of things. So there is sometimes certain plants you want to get up early in the morning, but, you know. Sort of like oysters, though. They don't run away. Yeah, not running away. Yeah. And that's that's a beautiful thing about foraging. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm excited about it. Okay, so let, let's just touch on a few more things that people get excited about in terms of the species uh, in the time of year. So, like, you know, we're, the springtime, we're talking about things that are flushing, coming out of, you know. Ooh, yeah, like, like oyster mushrooms. Oh, yeah, oyster mushrooms. I didn't, you know, this is new to me. Like, I, I don't really think of, I don't think of mushrooms till the fall. Yeah, but oyster mushrooms in the spring are a glorious thing. Mm. Um, A little less urban. I mean, of course, mushrooms, mushrooms are everywhere, you know. Mm. Um, So, of course, you can find them in urban areas, but. Um, they are everywhere on the on the coast. So now, yeah, you're moving into the forests, and and of course, I mean, I'll, my caveat being a park manager is like you you have to you can't harvest these you know whether it's plants or mushrooms or in inside of any park. I mean, obviously, I, I remember coming across like somebody that was oh, ocean spray. What do you do with ocean spray? Um, it's more of a medicinal than um, something you're going to be eating as food. Yeah, there was there was a, there was a guy in Trout Lake. And he was just like going to town on the <laughs> on the ocean spray plant, and I, and I and like I wasn't obviously working. It's not my park, but I was like, I was like, hey man, like, like you know, I I think it's probably important that you leave those flowers here for lots of reasons. One of which is that that's a beautiful plant, and I'm and there's like me and another. 10,000 people are going to walk by it today and go, wow, that's a beautiful plant. And ocean spray is only beautiful for a short period of time. So you really want to let it be. (laughs) I was like, come on, like, like, there's lots of ocean spray in places. Like if you go, if you go into the woods, you can find endless ocean spray that is, you know, so it's just like, you know, having a bit of decency around. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is something that we're going to have to talk a lot about because it's very nuanced is land access and permission and um, where you're harvesting. That's, that's a essential part of the puzzle. If you don't have permission to hunt or forage in a Mm -hmm. certain location, then you shouldn't be hunting or foraging there. Yeah. And if there's concerns and I think that, you know, one thing we'll spend some time talking about, and I, I still haven't figured out how to best present this and, and we'll we'll brainstorm on it but of course like all of these places we're harvesting on you know within indigenous traditional territories and nations have their own stewardship management plans for these species of plants and you know it's a if i don't know 
what the process is. To... Well, I think it's a really dynamic and very current conversation that everybody needs to be engaged in. Yeah. And I think that's something that we'll have to, you know, I think for now it's acknowledging that you're harvesting on or you're accessing traditional territories. And, and understanding which traditional territories you're you're treading upon. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I think, and that's why I'm kind of most comfortable talking about the urban setting of, of harvesting and, and where we're focusing on invasives and such, because that's a complicated conversation that, you know, I I think it warrants some research and some input, obviously, from the nations and how to best go about that. And and uh, and I'll be going down that road a little bit and, and trying to figure that out. And of course, we're, we're having that conversation in the hunting community right now. Like, how do we... Yeah, it's a daily conversation. It's a, and, it, and it's dynamic and it will be changing. It, it has changed. It will change again. It's, it's, a, it's a very nuanced conversation. And it's not always comfortable. No. And so that's definitely something that we have to work on. And um, conversation we need to have. So, anyways, for now, I'm I'm excited about talking about these these urban species and and uh, and and trying to create some understanding and some comfort there, and then and then trying to figure out a way to move beyond that if there's a if there's a way of going forward yeah. and doing that respectfully. Yeah, I mean, my best advice is to join your community garden. It's not an expensive thing, and then you have land access, so you have your own plot which you can do whatever you want with, which is just mm. like such a great thing. But then you have this beautiful space that you are a part of. It's a it's a community garden. You're literally a part of a community. And so there's, you know, the edges of the community garden where there's dandelions growing. You have, you actually have access to that because you're part of this. You can, you know, you can learn about all of the plants, native and uh, native wild plants, as well as cultivars and introduced species, because people have been planting and gardening and stewarding community garden plots for as long as they've been around. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the community garden that I'm part of has been around for a lot of years. And it's just amazing what grows there. I learned so much about what is possible to grow and what grows wild and what grows best with other plants just by walking around the community garden, not harvesting necessarily, just, just learning about it. Mm -hmm. So it's an amazing land access point and it's not a huge investment, but it is it is worth it. It gives back so much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, look, we're getting coming up on an hour here. So let, let's talk about a few more of the exciting urban wild edibles that are, you know, that are going to come online, whether it's later in the spring or in, into the summer. Oh, I know one that I actually just learned this year that has been really fun, and it's for Scythia, which is that that yellow flowering shrub that you sort of see you see everywhere um, in the Pacific Northwest, but you see it. I think of it in like grandma's yards. Mm -hmm. It's like it just grows everywhere, and it's so beautiful and just yellow, bright spring. And it's another one that I've been making cocktails with. Okay, so is it just another beautiful bright yellow cocktail? Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, so I've been what I've been the way I've been doing that. So you can try this at home um, because it's just popping like crazy right now. Is you harvest the yellow flowers and um, make sure you have identified it properly. This is this is key. Don't eat things you don't know one million percent what they are. Yeah. Um, so harvest your pasithia and um, just just the yellow bits of the flower. And then make a syrup. And I prefer it with honey because it's and and like nibble it as you as you as you harvest, like understand what the flavor is, and then make a honey syrup. So that's just like make a very strong tea with a lot of petals and let it steep for, you know, it can be it can be overnight if you want. And then um add an equal amount 
honey and then mm-hmm. reduce it a little bit. Or you can do a little less honey if you don't want something quite so sweet. But the long, the more honey you put in, if you do equal amounts tea and honey, it will preserve it for quite a long time. Um, you can make a syrup that's less sweet, which I generally prefer, but you have to use it quicker because the honey is a preservative. Oh, cool. Um, and that can, that'll keep in the fridge for a couple months. But if you make a slightly less sweet cocktail syrup, then it's my preference for taste, but you are just going to have to drink it. I like these cocktails. Okay, give me two more and then we'll wrap up. So what's, what are you looking for in the this, this summertime and then and then in the fall? Um, well, I mean, right now I'm so nettle focused because it's a job because the nettle patch that I that I harvest is um, huge. So <laughs> so I'm very nettle focused right now. And oh my goodness, I want to just tell you some of the things I'm making. I've made uh, nettle gnocchi. I've made nettle chips. I saw some nettle pasta. on. Oh, on I made some Instagram. nettle pasta. It, it was so beautiful. Oh, okay. I made another thing that was really very special with nettle. And it was a jus that I put a um, pan seared scallop in. So I reduced, it was just the brightest green um, nettle reduction. And that was, that was, the, it was a little sauce that I put a uh, pan seared scallop in it was so delicious and there's something there's a flavor with nettle that goes so well with things from the sea and you can even make some um sort of sea tasting reductions and such with nettle because i think it's so minerally that it has that relationship with fish or or seafood i honestly have not done anything with nettle so i'm excited about this so, yeah. the, so this workshop is gonna be cool so we're gonna focus our first workshop on nettle and then and what's we're gonna do two or three things for the first workshop so, coming uh, up so the first one we're gonna do nettle maple blossoms and flowering currants so we'll we will prepare a dish with nettle we'll prepare a dish with maple blossoms and we'll have a flowering currant cocktail Nice. So, nice. I mean, I, I suggest, especially with the cocktails and these flowers that are so, so fleeting in the spring, um, just get out there and harvest them and make some cocktails, make some syrups. You can make sugar syrup, honey syrup. Um, you can infuse these in, in alcohol, in vodka or brandy mm-hmm. or something. I would suggest that's like the most low barrier. Um, you're not going to over harvest. I mean, remember the pollinators, but just make enough for a syrup. So you're, you know, you don't want more than, uh, then, you know, then one or two jars of that in your fridge for the next yeah. couple of months. And, and hopefully we're coming out of COVID. So we're all just drinking a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Okay. And now, now we're going to do one here, I think on the 17th, and then we're going to do another one sort of two weeks after that. If, and no, it's a little bit like we're not going to know what exactly because this depending on the weather and the season. Yeah, the seasons change every year. So you can put it in your calendar, which I suggest you do. Here is a foraging life hack. <laughs> when you harvest, put it in your calendar and put it on a yearly reminder. Put your seasons in your calendar. Or if you're like me, you just go scroll back to your Instagram going, oh, yeah, okay, we really harvested. We did really well on that, yes. you know, on, on oysters that week. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but it will change. Not crazy, but within two to three weeks, it can go either direction every year, depending on the weather and the seasons. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's so many things that that affect it. I mean, the the moon cycle, the like, there's you know, the tides. Everything is affected by everything else. That's the glorious system of nature. <laughs> but for our second one, if all things being equal, what will we hopefully be focusing on on the second one? So the second one, we want to focus on fiddleheads and oyster mushrooms. 
Okay, so I think we're going to probably take a little bit of a step into at least the, the woods for this one. Yeah, I mean, the thing that. about fiddleheads and oyster mushrooms is you can harvest by by going out of town and going into the forest, or they're very common to get. You can even often get oyster mushrooms and fiddleheads in a grocery store, but mm -hmm. most definitely at a farmer's market. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll, you'll know the season is happening because you'll see these things on every restaurant menu. Oh, that's true. Well, not right now. Not not quite yet. Yeah, not quite yet because we're not in restaurants. But um, you'll see them online. Yeah, you'll, for sure. drool, you'll drool. Yeah, you'll well, drool you'll see online. It, and if you just pay attention to your Instagram feed, you'll probably or yeah, foraging Instagram folks will start bragging about their harvest pretty quick. So, um, well, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be tons of fun, Jody, and I, and I and I appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge with the Eat Well community. And I think we're going to have some fun. I'm excited about the cooking part. And I'm really nice. excited about the cooking part as well. And you know, this is what people ask me to do more than anything else. They ask me, how do you cook wild meat? How do you cook wild foraged ingredients? This yeah. is this is the most common questions I get. And um, and so here here it is. Yeah, let's try and do it. I mean, we, we did a great job. I think I mean, we had our wild game cooking workshops last year. Of course, they got stalled out by covid and hopefully we'll get back to those workshops and and uh and teach people the techniques around wild game cooking and then uh, this is gonna be a fun one too and maybe we'll do a wild game cooking webinar and uh yeah who knows that's uh i think everybody's pretty webinared out but this one the the idea with this one really is to keep keep our web content short yeah and then we'll be going you know harvesting harvesting in between the other thing that i think is really potentially cool about this uh format of workshop is the potential of meeting you know post covid <laughs> the potential of meeting other people that are going to be interested in this um and you can you can go harvesting together you can at least like get outside together yeah for sure no absolutely and uh at such a i mean that's one of the things that we you know i think that's been the big you know for for eat wild and looking at why people get so excited about us is we just bring these people together that are you know share this common interest whether it's hunting or foraging or fishing or food and, and obviously this past year has been such a bummer because we've really lost that element of bringing people together but yeah um but again this is probably as close to bringing people together as we can in this format because we're all going to you know go on a virtual adventure together and come back and have a virtual meal together so this yeah. is uh, i think we're kind of doing this here for a couple more months until um things maybe get back to normal so Anyways, it's going to be fun. So Jody, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's lots of fun. Okay, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this one. And um, certainly you can find this workshop on our website uh, at eatwild.ca. And um, yeah, it should be posted here pretty quick. And um, hopefully we, we'll see you there. And if not, uh, definitely share this podcast and tell us what you think. And look forward to chatting with you next time. <laughs>